Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. Today, we feature audio from the Elite Business Advice Podcast with Chris Moore. In this episode, Chris recaps the talk that he gave at PCA Expo about job costing and determining your monthly break-even revenue goal. This episode is sponsored by Angie Leeds, AnswerForce, and Company Cam. Welcome to the Elite Business Advice Podcast. My name is Chris Moore. I'm the founder of Elite Business Advisors, and the goal of our podcast is to help you grow your business, but also educate you on a variety of topics that affect self-employed small business owners. Today's episode, we're going to do a little bit of a recap from the talk we gave at the PCA Expo a few weeks ago back in Orlando, um, all about your finances, your job costing, your cash flow, and what the revenue goal is you need to hit every month to break even in your business. So this is a topic that we really have had a lot of conversations with people with here in the last month to six weeks, um, ever since Expo, just about managing the finances in a way that makes sense for your business, being in the know of your numbers. Uh, and, and it's a very, for me, it's a foundational principle, some of the stuff that I want to cover here today. And so, you know, we pretty much took a two-hour workshop. This is one of the sections from our Business 360 workshops that a lot of you guys will be hearing about here throughout the country the rest of the year. Um, and we took that two-hour workshop workshop from that day and we turned it into an hour-long expo talk uh, and now we're condensing it down into about a 20 to 25 minute podcast so uh, I don't think I can simplify it any more than that so I'm going to try to cover as much information as I can uh, in this episode without it being too overwhelming uh, but it's it's definitely a topic that gets brought up to us time and time again when we work with clients new clients conversations with people anything at all when it comes to business finances is always the one area that comes up a lot in conversation and so I thought it'd be good to kind of go through and break down um, a little bit about how we approach this, kind of some common things that we recommend people do, uh, maybe some misconceptions or questions we get or, or th- common issues we see mistakes people make uh, to try to head that off and, and maybe spark some ideas of little things that you can do in your business to help you manage your finances better. Uh, and so we kind of broke it down into three sections here. So I'm going to cover job costing first, um, how profitable you are per client per project. Uh, we're going to go in and how that leads into the cash flow of your business on the monthly cash flow number. Uh, and then lastly, leave that off with what the break-even revenue number is you need to do every month. Uh, that if you hit that revenue goal and all of your costs stay you know, consistent and even, that you should, in theory, hit all your numbers, be profitable, pay yourself, and have some money left over, right? So we want to kind of flow through this uh, to where you can determine that final number. Um, and so first off, let's talk about why job costing is so important. Um, job costing is important to understand And I'm going to give a lot of examples specifically to painting contractors here. Again, that's my background. Um, That's who we wrote, you know, put this talk together for. That's who this workshop is for in the Business 360 workshops. Um, But, you know, this really applies to any business, whether you are an accountant and bookkeeper, um, whether you are a roofing company, whether you, you know, anybody that has individual clients that you serve or provide services for, um, this talk will really apply to you because the job costing piece of it, again, you need to understand how profitable you are 
on each of your individual clients because the you need to make sure that your time and your expenses are taken care of. You need to understand that that covers the overhead you have in your business, that it allows you to pay yourself, and that there's still enough left over, right? And so job costing to me is, you know, when people ask the question of, am I charging enough? Is my pricing right? You know, um, it, this is how you really can go through and determine those things by, by plugging in and, and figuring out some of these numbers. Uh, and so, you know, for my painting contractors out there, you know, the one question we always get is, you know, what should the labor and material margin be? And this is a tricky question to answer. Um, and so I'm not going to go through any more margins aside from labor and materials, because those are the two that can stay pretty consistent. Everything else is going to fluctuate um, in, in with margins. But for labor margins, you should be at around 40% or less. At the very most, 45%. Anything over 45%. I know some people have you know been having to pay a little bit more here in wages recently in the last couple of years. So if you're at 45%, you're okay as long as everything else is pretty lean and tight. Uh, but 40% or less is really ideal. And you want to make sure that that factors in the employer taxes too. So that's not just the gross wages you're paying your employees for the job. It's the 10 to 15% um, employer taxes on top of that. Um, your materials, your materials should be at most 15%, eight to 12 to 13% is really the ideal range. Um, 8% it's, it's pretty hard to get there with, I know paint prices have increased in materials and stuff, but you should be factoring that into your estimates as well. Um, but 15% on the, the high end of it, if you're going over 15%, unless you're using very high end specialized products. Um, and again, maybe for a job you're at 18 or 20% because you just had a lot of materials more than labor on a normal job, there's going to be some outliers. And so as long as you have those real-time conversations and analysis to understand that, that's okay. Um, but 15% is really where you want to be at. Um, one question we get asked a lot is, you know, how do you factor in insurance into your job costing? I know some people will say that it should be part of the burden with the employer taxes and, and the, the labor cost. Um, and I will clarify this. Uh, there's no right or wrong way to do it, right? It's more of a personal preference. And as long as your analysis of your numbers is in line and it all makes sense, again, do it however you want to. For us personally, how we like to do it again, because we want to try to simplify business for people, is we factor in the insurance as a monthly expense. Um, it, you know, for most people, it is a fixed variable or a fixed cost throughout the whole year until you get your audit, right? And I always say that with insurance, you should talk to your insurance rep every quarter uh, and say, hey, here's what we're estimating our payroll to be for the year, right? Because your, your monthly payment gets set up based on what you're estimating your payroll to be for the whole year. So if, if you add three employees, well, then your payroll is obviously going to be much higher. Instead of waiting until the end of the year to pay a whole lot extra, um, it's better to go throughout the year and adjust that monthly payment to be a little bit higher. Uh, and so just keep good communication with them. Um, but I view it as a fixed cost for the most part. Um, even though it is technically variable, it is 100% based on the amount of wages paid. Uh, but I think as you, if in my personal opinion, if you factor it into the labor costs on your jobs, it just starts getting things a lot messier because those numbers may not equal what you're paying each month, right? One way or the other. Uh, and so it kind of throws off a little bit of the cash flow. But again, personal preference, just adapt on how you analyze all your numbers. Um, so some common mistakes we see people make with job costing. Um, one thing is you don't account for tax on your paint, materials, your products, anything you're buying for people. Uh, if you're paying sales tax on paint products, right, you need to make sure that that cost is getting passed along to the customer. 
I see a lot of people, they put bids together, they go on their super cool Sherwin-Williams app, which I love that, and they see, oh, I get duration for, I'm just going to make up a number here, $42.17 a gallon. Um, and that's what they put in their bid. They don't factor in the, you know, seven to eight to nine percent sales tax they pay on that on top of that. Um, and so that's a huge thing that like that's one little thing that you may not think about, but that adds up. Right. If you spend twenty thousand dollars a year at Sherwin Williams or 40 or one hundred thousand dollars and you're not factoring in the eight percent sales tax you pay, that's going to eat into your profit pretty quickly. Um, another thing is not tracking paint. Um, for job sites accurately. So for example, if you've got leftovers, right, that comes out of the shop, if you do a bulk purchase, maybe, you know, I know a lot of clients right now have been doing a bulk order of 50 to 75 gallons just to make sure they've got the paint readily available as we're still kind of in a little bit of a shortage here. Uh, you know, make sure that you are tracking those numbers properly into your job costing uh, and that you have some sort of an inventory tracking system uh, to make sure that whatever comes out of your shop or your supply gets factored into the jobs, right? Um, you know, not accounting for supplies, rollers, and materials. Um, sometimes, you know, when people go do the estimates, uh, you know, some people will throw on like 50 bucks for miscellaneous supplies. Some people don't. Uh, so make sure that you're factoring in, you know, supplies, materials, you know, anything that you buy specifically for a job. If you have to buy plastic, floor covering, you know, three rolls of tape or something, job costed to that job. Um, if it's just like, hey, I bought a roll of tape and this is going to get us through four jobs, um, you know, again, attribute it to a job or just kind of put it in with the monthly expenses. So there's a couple different ways you can do that. Uh, and we'll talk more about the monthly expenses here in just a minute. Um, not factoring in the employer taxes. That's, that's another big one I see, a uh, mistake we see people make uh, is they don't factor in that extra 10 to 15% for, you know, federal taxes, um, FICA, Social Security, all those types of things, unemployment. Um, they don't factor that into their wages. That should be factored into each job as well. Uh, and then here's one last one. And <laughs> do you pay your employees for lunch? Uh, this is something that I think is a great principle for building culture of a company, but I think it's a terrible financial idea, if I'm being honest. Um, if your business is at a spot where financially you can afford to invest in, you know, your employees to, you know, pay them for lunch. And again, I think it's kind of a cool thing that you can do that. Uh, but I don't generally recommend it because I think a lot of people end up spending way more money than they would like. So perfect example, we had a client uh, that discovered in 2021, he had spent, if his employees only took a 30 minute lunch every day, which I'm sure not purposely, but they probably maybe occasionally took a 40 minute lunch, 45 minute lunch, not meaning to just not thinking about it. Um, but if they only took a 30 minute lunch, he would have spent $11,000 that year just in paid lunch time, right? So Lunches are very common that it's unpaid. They're unpaid 30-minute breaks. Uh, go get lunch or bring your lunch, you know, whatever you want to do. Uh, and so that's that's normal in the industry. So don't feel like, oh, I'm not paying my people for lunch. Like, that's pretty common. Uh, but just keep in mind the financial um, benefit or the, the unbenefit, I should say, of paying your employees for lunch. Um, same thing rings true for, you know, meetings, um, you know, office parties, like anything like that that you have that you're paying people for that's not really producing labor, just keep an eye on that. Um, you know, keep an eye on those things that's not producing uh, a job site and, and production for your company and how much you're paying them, right? People that may have weekly 30-minute meetings, maybe every Monday morning to kind of jumpstart the week, I think it's great because it gets everybody on the same page, but how much is that actually costing you? 
right? Maybe you have a 30 minute in office meeting and then they spend 15 to 30 minutes driving to their job site. Like that's, you know, that starts to add up pretty quickly, especially if you have six, eight, 10 employees. Is that meeting worth it? Sometimes yes, sometimes probably not. So just think of those types of things in your business that, that can really kind of start to leak some cash out of it, uh, which that'll transition into our next point, which is cash flow. Cash flow to me is the number one thing that deceives business owners in their business, right? A lot of people will do, you know, if, if they'll maybe they'll do the job costing and they're like, huh, we're doing great. Our gross profits 40% plus 40, 45, 47%, man, we're doing great. Um, but what they don't stop and look at is how does that trickle down into what what's the monthly cash flow of the company at the end of the day, right? Because the job costing only factors in your labor and your materials. Um, and if you're tracking that right, then that's giving you a very good sense, but it doesn't factor in your overhead, any other miscellaneous expenses for the month, um, your salary as a business owner, distributions, however your company is structured, um, anything else like that. If you have a production manager, you have an office person, you have somebody that you're paying that doesn't, again, have a brush in their hand physically producing jobs for you, um, you need to factor those those expenses into your business, right? And so unfortunately, what a lot of people will find is um, a perfect example I used at Expo was a business that did about $50,000 in a given month. Uh, and again, we like to look at everything on a month by month basis. So they did about $50,000 in jobs that month. The profit was right around 20,000. So 40%, you're like, okay, man, I would take that all day, right? But then what you didn't see behind the scenes was their monthly expenses was like $8,000. Um, the owner had paid himself like $6,000. Uh, they had a production manager that was like a $4,000 salary and like a part-time office person. And by the time everything trickled down, like their business actually lost like $500 or $1,000 that month. Um, and so, you know, which is fine if that happens occasionally, but if that's the consistency of your business, um, you look at those gross profit numbers and you're like, man, we're doing great. And then you do the trickle down effect of everything else. And you're like, actually our company's losing money or we're breaking even, or we're only making $300 a month on top of everything. Right. And that's, that's not sustainable for the long term. Um, although $300 plus is better than anything minus, I guess. So it, it could always be worse. But um, so that's one, that's where we see people get deceived, right? They may do the job costing. They may see how much money they make on each project again, which is a great foundational place to start, but they don't stop and think about all the other costs associated with their business. Um, and so, you know, let's talk about the monthly expenses for a second. So this, the monthly expenses to me is anything that is a um, fixed monthly recurring cost. So any, you know, your insurance payment, your cell phone, your internet, if you rent an office space or shop, um, you know, anything like that. And then anytime you go out to lunch that you write it off on the business, right? With your employees, with a client, with a, you know, a, a referral partner, anything like that. Um, any dime that gets spent in your company that doesn't get factored into one of your jobs and materials or labor needs to go in monthly expenses. Uh, so another perfect example, Sherwin-Williams just did a, their, you know, one of their couple times a year, blue bucket sales. Uh, and so, you know, we had clients that would spend a thousand dollars just on rollers and tape and plastic and all that stuff that they're going to use for jobs over, you know, the next handful of months. Um, again, you could attribute that to each job. Every time you pull a roller out of the shop, that gets really monotonous. So one thing we recommend is just put that thousand dollar blue bucket order into your monthly expenses for that month. Um, and, you know, just kind of understand that it is part of your material cost. But again, we want to try to simplify the tracking of everything um, to where you're getting accurate data, but you're not overwhelming yourself and how you get that accurate data, right? So 
that would be something that would go in monthly expenses. Um, so again, any dime that you pay, again, if, if there's time that, you know, you have those those office meetings, right? Some people may do quarterly trainings. Um, that labor, the time paid out for that should go in your monthly expenses. So we have kind of a list of things. If you have questions, reach out to us. I'm going to put my email in the podcast notes on this episode because we'll have a couple other documents that, that we have available to share with you guys for anybody interested. Uh, but if you have questions, you want the list of some of those common monthly expense things, we're happy happy to provide that with you guys. Um, and so, you know, again, with cash flow, factored in your salary and distributions. That's one thing that we see people, um, and I say salary and distributions if you're set up as an S corporation, otherwise it's just distributions or salary. Um, but, you know, f- how much do you pay yourself every month, right? We see some people that they pay themselves more than really where their business is at at that time period, right? Uh, and so you have to figure out like, hey, am I just taking too much money out of the company? Do I need to, you know, obviously the goal would probably be to figure out how to make more money for the company so you can keep paying yourself that amount. Uh, but that's one thing that we see really kind of start businesses for cash, especially if you have a lot of bad personal spending habits, maybe credit cards, a lot of debt on that end of things, that you have to take more money out of your company. Again, that's okay. It's it's not okay, but it's okay. It's understandable, right? Uh, I don't want to beat anybody up in this episode, but just understand that a lot of times your personal financials can really have an impact on your business financials if there's a lot of things like that that are, are warranting that you have to take more money out of. So just kind of a little sidebar that I probably just made somebody mad about. But um, the truth hurts, but sometimes it'll set you free. So, uh, so some common cash flow mistakes that we see people like. One thing I could just mention, overpaying yourself. Um, not factoring in extra cost each month. Uh, and so, you know, again, it's where you can deceive yourself. Like, yeah, we made $5,000, but you forgot, you know, $6,000 worth of expenses in there. Um, you know, another thing, long revenue collection. So if you do not have a good process for when you finish up a project and you invoice the customer, you set the expectation that payments due, you know, at the final walkthrough on the last day, whatever it is, right? If you're finishing jobs and you're not getting paid for them for one to two weeks down the road, and again, obviously I'm talking more of my residential customers here compared to commercial and industrial, but for my residential people, you should be getting paid within like two to three days when that job's completed at the latest, right? Um, one common thing that I understand happens, you may have a three to four week project that goes on. And so you should set the expectation of, hey, we take the deposit um, at the end of week one or week two, you know, we're going to collect another 30 uh, percent and then we're going to collect, you know, the final 40 percent, whatever your numbers come out to be whenever the job's finished. Right. So you shouldn't be waiting a whole four weeks to get paid anything um, aside from the initial deposit. You should set the expectation that at some point, you know, say, hey. How I always used to approach it was, hey, we like to stay paid up with how much of the job's been completed, so we expect this to be a four-week project. At the end of week two, we want to have collected about 50% of the cost of the job, you know, 60%, whatever the number is, between your deposit and this partial payment. Um, And so just keep money flowing in. If you have jobs that are going to stretch on longer than, I would say, two weeks for sure, because payroll cycles, um, if jobs are going to go more than two weeks, set the expectation of doing some payments. We've really never had any customers balk at us. Again, as long as you communicate with them, you set the expectation and you make it just part of your process. Hey, this is how things go. Um, people just go, okay, yeah, that's fine. Not a big deal. Right. So, um, it's easier to have those conversations ahead of time than be like day before payroll. And you're like, Hey, can we get a check right now? Like, and they kind of get thrown off a little bit. So, so plan ahead on that. Um, 
Not having your business credit cards paid off, obviously having interest charged on it, always having a balance, um, that can kind of starve your business to cash flow. So I always like to help clients put a plan together to get credit card debt paid off, um, anything like that. Um, again, there can be good debt and bad debt with some of that, and I view credit card ongoing credit card debt is a bad debt for most businesses, unless it's really fueling the growth of your company and you're willing to pay the interest and it makes sense, right? Um, so sometimes it's a matter of running the math. So I never, I never want to just say blanket statement, credit card debt is always bad. 90% of the time it is 10% of the time it could actually be helping fuel the growth of your business where you need to go. Um, the other big thing um, is having a spending plan. Uh, and I call it a spending plan instead of a budget uh, because there's something about the word budget that people hate. Uh, and so I like to call it a spending plan. It's the same freaking thing, just FYI. Um, but I, I would like to call it a spending plan because I think it's good to be proactive in your finances to plan out what's coming up for the month ahead right? Adjust things as need be. You're going to have busier times of the year, usually spring, summer, and fall um, compared to wintertime, right? So you, your budget needs to be, uh, you know, reflected accordingly to that. So, um, you know, again, we've got a Google Doc for that put together um, so that you can, you know, go through and customize your spending plan for the upcoming month and kind of have a budget for meals and, you know, anything like that and, and how much you're going to spend on advertising and make sure that everything makes sense. Because again, it's easier to be proactive about that ahead of time than reactive on the back end of it. So um, a couple cash flow hacks we've got for you guys. Um, so tax savings. So one thing that we recommend um, is to put aside a percentage of the revenue from your jobs to pay your estimated quarterly tax payments personally um, or, you know, um, your end of the year tax bill. Uh, and again, it's about being proactive with it, right? So 5% to 20% is kind of the range we have. Uh, and so, you know, we recommend take that out of every job and put that aside in an account. Don't touch it. And then when you have to make those quarterly payments or that end of the year tax bill, the money's there, right? Um, this doesn't really apply to somebody that either you save personally after you pay yourself to pay your taxes. That's fine too. Then ignore what I just said. Um, maybe you are, um, an S corporation and you have enough withheld out of your salary to again, pay your tax bill, tax things change because of people that are married, how many kids you have, does your spouse work? There's so many factors that go into it. Uh, but if you constantly find yourself scrambling to make your quarterly payments or your end of the year tax bill, I recommend putting some money aside um, to be proactive about that. The other thing, deposits. Um, do you take deposit checks and what do you do with them? Uh, we really strongly recommend taking your deposit checks and putting them aside in an account um, until that job is started, until you've bought materials, until you've started the job, until the job's finished, then move that deposit over to your checking account. Um, if you're not in the habit of doing that right now, it's okay. It will take you time to build over to this, but it's much nicer to have that cash cushion in there, knowing that all your upcoming jobs, your deposits are set aside. Um, cause otherwise then you're only collecting, you know, probably 70 to 80% of the total cost of the job. Every time a job's done, if that deposit's already been spent a long time ago and it's hard to get ahead with that. So again, this might be something that takes you six to eight to 12 months to transition over towards, uh, but we can kind of help put a plan together to make that happen. So, um, but I use both of those two accounts. Again, I say have a second account attached to your checking for those two things, taxes and deposits. And I like to do that because if you ever get in a spot where you need money to cover payroll, you've got access to money in those accounts to pull over, 
make payroll when that next check comes in that money goes back over so you have to be disciplined but it's definitely something that can relieve some stress of like instead of being like oh my gosh i can't make payroll tomorrow because we don't have the money um, or we can't pay our sherwin bill that's due tomorrow because we don't have the money at least you have access to the money um, you just need to make sure there's enough money coming in and usually it's because you're waiting on a check from a project so um, one thing i want to hit on before we hop into this last section and wrap it up is um S corporations. This is something that we have a lot of questions about. And so I just wanted to make a quick comment on this. If you are a sole proprietor or a single member LLC, um, or even a partnership, um, if your net income of your business is about sixty to $70,000 at the end of the year, and that's what you're paying taxes on, um, you should really talk to your accountant about filing as an S corporation. Again, this is just kind of general guidance, not advice, not anything more than just some education. Um, talk to your accountant about that because there can start to be some tax benefits once your net income reaches about $70,000 a year um, to filing as an S corporation compared to that because you'll save some money on self-employment taxes. So won't go in and bore you on details, uh, but just know if that's kind of where you're at. Um, I want that to be a thought provoking idea to talk to your accountant about that or reach out to us and we're happy to help. So the last thing I want to end off on is understanding the break-even revenue for your business each month. Uh, and what I mean by that is looking at your you know, labor margin, your material margins from your job costing, you start to get an idea of, hey, our average margin on projects is this, right? And you can use those numbers along with your average monthly expenses, um, along with how much you pay yourself to really determine what your what the revenue is you need to do each month in order for all those things to check out and your company to have money left over. Um, and so I'm not going to try to explain the math via a podcast because it's not going to make sense. So just know that, again, we have a Google Sheet for this with the formulas and everything put in place. You can plug in really those four things, your, your labor margin, material margin, average monthly expenses, owner salary, and it will calculate that for you. So again, please email us. Let us know that you would like a copy of that and we can get that over to you. Uh, but I think that the big thing for me and, and how to use that number moving forward as we wrap up here is knowing if you know that, hey, if every month, if we do $50,000 in revenue, um, that with our average margins, if that stays the same, if our monthly expenses stays the same, I pay myself the same, that that will yield a cash flow of, you know, $3,000, $5,000, whatever the number is. Um, then you know how many jobs you need to do every month, month based on your average job size. So if $50,000 is the revenue you need to do, your average job size is, say, $2,000, you know that you need to do 25 jobs a month. Um, again, with your averages being even to hit that, okay? Then you can take that a step further and say, well, if we have to do 25 jobs a month, um, how many estimates do I need to do the month ahead to plan for that, right? Uh, and so if your sales rate's at 50%, you need 25 jobs, that means you need to do 50 estimates a month. Now you have some ways to start planning out your schedule and start planning your business and again, being proactive and, and targeting those things. Uh, and then the question becomes, you know, are you doing 50 estimates a month? Or is, can you make your sales rate 10% higher to where you have to do a little less estimates, but you're still getting the same results, right? Or maybe can you upsell your jobs a little bit more so your average job size increases, right? You can start to figure out solutions to increase these numbers to hit your goals when you start understanding the data. And the last number you can kind of utilize here is how many employees do I need to produce that amount? 
Um, Nick Slavic and I talked right before the PCA Expo about like what is the expectation for an average employee. Uh, so Nick, I'm going to throw you under the bus here if anybody disagrees with this. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of came up with the number that the average employee should produce about $110,000 a year in revenue. Uh, and again, that's going to vary based on different markets and stuff. We understand that, but that's the best blanket statement we can come up with, which would equate to just over $9,000 a month per employee, right? So if you need to do $50,000 a month, you either need five really productive employees, um, a little bit above average, or you might need six, you know, and you're going to shoot to do $54,000 a month, right? Uh, and so that just kind of gives you an idea. If your goal is to do 50000 and you currently have two or three employees, there's definitely a disconnect there, right? If that, if the break-even number is 50000 um, there's a huge disconnect. You got to figure one of two things out, um, how to reduce your expenses um, and some of that stuff to be a little bit more realistic with where you're at or how to grow your company to start doing 50000 a month. So um, generally, it's not going to be that far off, but if it is, definitely a conversation to have. So um, so I hope that helps. I, I hope, I know I just kind of threw a lot of information out there, but it's something that we see so many questions about. We have so many conversations with, um, and we just thought it'd be beneficial to take a little bit of time and, and do an episode all about um, the financial piece of your business. And so please reach out to us, shoot us an email, chris at elitebusinessadvising.com. Again, I'll put that in the show notes. If you want access to the spending plan document, the job costing document, and um, the break-even document. Um, we'll have those available. We're happy to share those with you guys. Again, use us as a resource. That's what we're here for is to help you with your business. Uh, and we are really excited for next week's episode with Steve Thomas talking about going from stuck to on in both your life and business. So have a great day. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.